Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna run around and desert you. Never gonna make you cry. Never gonna see. Never gonna say goodbye. Never gonna tell a lie and hurt you. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna run around to you. Never gonna make you cry. Never gonna say goodbye. Never gonna tell a you. Never gonna give, never gonna give. Welcome to another episode of the Revisited Podcast. I'm Ben. And I'm Kristen. This week we are recovering, revisiting Ted Lasso, season two, episode 10, No Weddings and a Funeral. I am never going to get this right, ever. (laughs) Well, you've got another movie on your mind right now. I'm so excited. (laughs) You You are like immediately, as soon as we're done this recording, you are off to the theater with your family. To see Dune 2. Literally can't wait. Dune can't Part wait. 2. I'm really excited, too, about the obscene amount of popcorn I'm about to eat, too. I, you know, it's weird. So I took a day trip yesterday into, for anybody in the Pennsylvania area, I took a day trip yesterday, rainy day trip, because it was raining all day here, um, into Lancaster with uh, a, a bunch of friends. I love Lancaster. And it's real. There's a lot of real. I haven't been there in years, and there's so much cool stuff. There's like, especially like right in the heart of the town, there's like all these great little like consignment shops and everything. It's really cool. Everything is Amish made, so it lasts forever. Well, it's not all like it's not all Amish stuff, but there's a lot of it. So, I I went on my what I called my tastes of Lancaster tour yesterday. We went to this like French. You named it. Well, in my head. Right. No, no that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like you didn't like join a group and like go on something called <laughs> tastes of Lancaster. <laughs> no. So we went into this French bake, uh, French bakery that has like incredible pastries and desserts and everybody tried something different. I tried like a little tiramisu cup. That was yeah. amazing. You um, love tiramisu. God, I love tiramisu. And I came home yesterday with, we went to a Swedish candy store. Which oh, fun. Great. 
and I came home with like this Swedish candy bar that's like chocolate and popcorn and um, sea salt. Oh my god! I haven't eaten it yet. I can't wait to dig into it. And then I got um, from another store. I got a maple pepper beef jerky and a chocolate caramel espresso popcorn. As long as it wasn't chocolate beef jerky, like I, I was so no. scared about what mm. was going to come out of your mouth after chocolate. <laughs> and then on the way home, I stopped off at a dairy that I've been wanting to go to for a while, Jeez, but was never are out in you that area. Still full? I didn't eat any of this stuff. Oh, yet. okay. Yeah. <laughs> And I picked up farm fresh chocolate milk and vanilla milk, Ooh. which I've never had before. But, <clears throat> I'm uh, shocked that you don't have diabetes yet. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me I got the beatus. Although I, I will say I am, um, and I've told a number of people this because I these are people I, I'm, I want to hold me accountable, and you can be one of these people too, Kristen. Uh, I saw pictures of myself from Rhode Island Comic Con, and I was not happy with the way I looked. Like weight wise, I'm not happy about it. So I am on a mission that by the time Rhode Island Comic Con rolls around again this year in November, I will be at least twenty pounds lighter. Okay. At least. Go keto. I don't like keto. Yeah. Okay, but go keto anyways. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. We'll or, see. or just stop eating. Well, that's not healthy. <laughs> I know none of and, it's healthy, and none I have of it is healthy, and I have an addiction to food. I do too. I do <laughs> like, too. I wake up, I think about food. If I'm at work, I think about food. I always have snacks nearby. I. I have an unhealthy addiction to food. Like well, that's part of my problem, which I'm working on. But um, I'm. All, it also involves me returning to the gym. Like I'm going back to the going back to the gym like three times a week. So again, I'm on a mission. Good, good, so. good. I'd love to be on a mission. My mission right now is just to get through the rest of the school year without losing my ever loving mind. You're on. A, you're also on a mission to get through this recording so you can go see Dune Part Two. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I knew that was going to be a nice transition into the episode. So uh, before we say anything else, obviously, if this is your first time watch through Ted Lasso, we don't want you to hear any spoiler talk. So we're going to save that till a little bit later. Just make sure you check the show notes to find out when we talk about spoilers so you can avoid it. And then make sure you come back in for when we talk about quotes and feedback of the episode as well. Also, yeah. if you hate if you hate our weird banter every single time before we get into the episode, Ben also puts in the show notes <laughs> yes. when we start talking about the episode. Yes, I, I do. And sometimes when I it's go through twenty minutes, sometimes when I go through and I put those timestamps in there, and I'm like, main discussion eight minutes fifty eight minutes fifty seven seconds. You mean we bullshitted for eight minutes? This episode? Uh, we. Apparently, Dave told me one week we talked about pretzels for 20 minutes. It <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, does not surprise me. I'm one, sorry, everybody. One single bit. Uh, so, yeah. So just check the show notes to find out, you know, when every I list everything, spoilers, main discussion, quotes, feedback, all that stuff. So pretzels. just check the show notes. Because we both do have 
one or two things to mention during spoiler talk this episode. Yes. Uh, but getting into the main episode, season two, episode 10, no weddings in a funeral. I mentioned this last week. I warned people of last week and of this last week. And then rewatching the episode this week, this morning, actually. Jesus, this episode is an emotional roller coaster. It is heavy. And you know what? I was thinking about this this morning, actually. I am so glad they put the beard episode in between Man City and this episode. It was mm -hmm. needed. Levity was needed after coming off of Man City at the end with Jamie and James Tart <clears throat> right into Rebecca's father's death. That would have been a little too heavy. So I, I, I have that in my notes too. And one of the main, another main reason why I actually, I'm glad that the beard episode is, um, was last was the episode pre previous to this one is because, and I said this during last week's episode is that it really gives you a different viewpoint on the beard and Jane relationship, which was perfect for this episode. Yes, exactly. When yeah. we get that phone conversation between that FaceTime between beard and Jane, this episode, had we not gotten beard after hours, that would have been incredibly weird and awkward. You know what though? You know what I loved is that, Beard recognized when it was time to put the phone away. I don't know yes. if you noticed that, but the minute Rebecca goes up to give her eulogy, he puts that phone away. He knew when it was time for him to be there for Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And the time for silliness or whatever role-playing thing he was playing with, uh, with Jane <laughs> at the time, who knows, right? Um, he put it away. Yeah. And I, I have so much respect for Beard as a character because... Beard knows when it matters, and that's a quality in humans that I feel is often overlooked. Well, even like it, the little moments that we get of Beard in this episode, uh, you know, from the phone conversation with Jane, which, as I mentioned, if not for last week's episode, would have just been incredibly weird. To as you mentioned, him putting the phone away during Rebecca's eulogy during the yeah. the, the funeral, even so much so to the point of the the reception afterwards. When Sassy approaches Ted, he takes that guy away so that Beard and Sassy could have their moment. Yeah, he did. He knew. Yeah. Well, Beard is like the ultimate wingman. But he really is, especially yeah. for Ted. Yeah. And then when he gets off the bus and he looks at Rebecca and he's like, <laughs> he gives yeah. that like finger guns thing with a wink. It's perfect. It's quintessential Beard. So yeah. I, I really enjoy him. And I love... Um, I just love that if you're paying attention to Beard, you just understand that he gets where his moments lie. Yeah. He, um, I sent you a, a message on Instagram. I sent you a, um, I shared with a reel with you on Instagram. I don't think, I don't know if you saw it or not. Um, of him, <laughs> would tell you that I'm terrible at that. Of him hula hooping. And it basically says, like, mastered my. I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but like mastered my hula hoop skill only to be recognized for my award-winning show or for the <laughs> award-winning show that I'm on. And Devoted my life to hula hoop only to be known for my award-winning hit TV show. And he's <laughs> hula hooping and hate staring the camera. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's hilarious. So that came from a show called after midnight, um, which I, I watch, um, 
uh, with Taylor Tomlinson where he was one of the guests and it's all like improv and, and such. Uh, and I was very excited to see that he was a guest on it and he was very funny. He was very funny on the episode. So, but yeah, I sent that to you on Instagram because of that's cause, awesome. Cause who doesn't love beard? And it's, it's good advice too, for like rewatching past episodes and continuing on the watch is that just always pay attention to beard. Yes. Cause yes. The little nuances of his character throughout this series are fantastic. He never is out of character. No matter where he is, he is never out of character. It must be really easy to play him, though. Like, he could just stare at other characters and not say anything. And it could just be, for whatever reason, Well, there's even a moment in the, There's even a moment in this episode, too, early on, where they're in the locker room, um... And they're talking about like what animal you would be like. They're talking about like reincarnation and stuff. Right. And Nate says like I would come back as a lion, and Beard just kind of shoots him a look. Or uh, lion or tiger? No, no. Because what does he say? Wait, hang on. I've got that quote because I because I also took note of it. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You keep going. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can't remember exactly if it's. Um, I got it. I promise. I got it. <laughs> if you don't, if you have it, I have it. Um, oh, I have it right here, actually. Um, I'd like to be reincarnated as a tiger and then ravage anyone who looked at me wrong. Yeah. If that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, trust me. I, the, There's this- another huge piece of foreshadowing that we're both going to talk about in in spoilers. because Yes, there you, is. Just your comment just now told me we have the same spoiler talk. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Yes, there, it is definitely Nate related. Yep. Um, one of mine, one of I have two, but one of mine is Nate. Yeah, and it's and it's the same one. I'm sure. Yep. So yeah, so I mean, Beard is a very little minimal part of this episode, but the little minimal part that you get is straight up Beard. I mean, there's no such thing as small roles. Only small actors? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. Tom Cruise is short. Ugh. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, for the listeners out there, I really know how to get under Kristen's skin. Yeah. Good. So, (laughs) nice way to pass pass it off. Shut up. (laughs) Going with the uh, reincarnation coming back as animals, um, what I really loved is that Higgins still misses Cindy Clawford yes. like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to be curled up in front of a fire at Cindy Clawford's feet. And I started thinking about it and you know, I miss my dog Maggie so much. She died almost 3 years ago and her picture is still my screensaver on my phone. Like I'm never going to really get over this dog, so I get it. And I thought to myself, yeah, if I were to come back, I would want to be Maggie's pet. I would want to just curl mm-hmm. up with Maggie for the rest of my eternity, my the rest of my eternity, <laughs> and I would be totally fine with that. So, yeah, good job to Higgins. And um, I did read something that I thought was really interesting as well on that same note was that Higgins is obsessed with his uh, deceased cat, but he acts so much like a dog. He is loyal, caring. He's selfless. He thinks about others. He loves everyone and is genuinely happy to see everybody mm-hmm. all the time, right? 
Sassy wants to come back as a really stupid dog. <laughs> and she is clever, cheeky, and lethal like a cat. She's a cat. She is yeah. a cat. She walks into a room and wants to knock everybody off of the counter. <laughs> <laughs> One, that is a great analogy. And two, as a cat owner, I understand it completely. <laughs> Anybody that has a cat knows exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, your life changes as a cat owner because you cannot keep fragile things on shelves. You can't keep anything anywhere. No. You, you really, really can't. can't. Cats are just like, that's mine, crash. That's mine, smash. That's mine, break. I mean, and and then if you really like something, they stick their butt on it. R or they rub their head or stick their butt on it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And it's that great. includes their owners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's great. <laughs> it's great. But I, awesome. I, I love Sassy. Like, she is a character that just anytime she pops up in this series... I'm like, I'm instantly giddy because she's yeah. such a great character. And she, I love it that she's, she comes in the way that she usually comes into Rebecca's house. She climbs up the balcony. <laughs> and Nora can't do it. Yep. <laughs> Nora is another one too. Like I, and I honestly, I don't know if we get any more Nora. I can't oh, remember. We have to. We I can't to. remember. You might be right. Um, but this there's is the, no way that we don't get any more Nora. She's this, too wonderful. This is the last moment of Nora I remember getting. So I don't know. We're gonna wait and see because again, we don't. There's a lot about season three we don't remember because <laughs> no, we we haven't watched it. Like we've only watched it once, so it's gonna be interesting to you know, to, to go back and revisit it. And maybe we will get more Nora in season three. Maybe we get her again in season two. And I just don't remember. There's only two episodes left in this season. Uh, nope. This is it. Uh, no more Nora. So this is the, okay. This so is this it. is the last weekend of Nora. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen, um, Nora's reaction to, uh, Rebecca breaking up with Sam. <laughs> so that girl session, that girl talk session. Yeah. In the church. Yeah. Is absolutely hysterical. Yes. That scene like is so, I mean, I mean, again, we talk about the emotional roller coaster that this episode is. We go from this, we get, you know, we start with the sad news of the passing of Rebecca's father, even though it's kind of mid-tier emotional because you can't tell if they're overly sad about it or they're not happy about it, but they're not overly sad about it. So it still kind of rides that middle neutral line. And then we get that moment, you know, it, backstage in the church where, you know, where everybody's happy and they're they're cheerful and they're giddy and they're having fun. And then it goes into Ted's session with or no, it goes into the panic attack. I can't remember the timeline. The, no, he has the panic attack before that. Before he has the backstage. Pan yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about so the most beautiful part of the episode to me, and I, I think this is why Jason Sudeikis um it chose this episode as best in directing uh for the Emmys, because this is the episode he submitted for for directing. Oh, okay. Is, is the way that 
Ted's story about his father's death and Rebecca's story about catching her father was knitted together. It was beautifully done. It was beautifully done. Um, It was shocking traumas for both of our main characters. And and breakthroughs. And major breakthroughs. Major breakthroughs. And Rebecca and Ted telling it to their their respective people in Dr. Sharon and Deborah, they were even very similar, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Deborah was able to let Rebecca feel her feelings, but also tell her, this is who I love. This is, you know, this is the choice that I made. This was my choice. This is my life. And, you know, this is just how how life goes, you know? And then you have Dr. Sharon who sees what, what turmoil that that Ted is in because I mean he has just admitted to Dr. Sharon just two weeks ago, right? Um, and who knows how long it's been, but two weeks ago in, in listener time or in watcher time, that his dad killed himself and that he found his dad. That he found his dad. Like that is a part <clears throat> that I forgot until mm-hmm. I rewatched this episode. And it's at that point. Oh, he heard the bang. He he knows. I w- I understand. You walk into your into your house. Your dad is still alive. Your dad dies after after yeah. you're in your house. That kind of stuff would haunt anybody. Yeah. Well, I mean, we learn a lot about uh, even more about Ted in in this episode because you know there is that breakthrough where. You know, I mentioned the emotions and, and such because we get that happy moment. And then that's when we go into this session with Dr. Sharon and Ted because Dr. Sharon makes the house call to Ted's flat. And we get this whole reveal, as as you mentioned, Ted's father killed himself, which we already knew. But now we get into the detail of it in that Ted came home and, you know, and he, he he heard the bang. He discovered his father. He went downstairs. He drank a beer and then called his mom. 19. About it. Yep. 19, 19, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, I think he's younger than that. No, I think he said he was 19. No, because I remember during the dart session, he says that they went to the sports bar from the time he was, you know, until he was 16 when his father passed away. Oh, I think he was 16. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I don't think he was even, you know. Okay. Then I, yeah. Then I misread it or I misheard it two weeks ago when he talked about it. Um, I do love the fact that while Ted is talking about the fact that his father quit, that on the other side of, of the story, Deborah talked about the fact that she refused to quit on her family and on her marriage. Mm. Um, I thought that that was a really interesting um, contrast to each other. Um, And, you know, we kind of see why Ted doesn't quit on people. We see why he says, I don't quit. Um, Well, that was the point I was, I was getting to. I'm so sorry. No, no, you're, you're totally fine. Um, Is that we, that whole moment, the reveal of everything, this is the moment when we really find out why Ted is Ted. 
Yes, 100%. I think I even have that in my notes, why Ted is Ted. I I absolutely have it in my notes. I have Ted's breakthrough and why Ted is Ted. That is exactly how I have it written down in my notes. Yeah, his story about his father shaped who he is today. That's exactly word for word in my notes. But I also think that it's important to mention that we have seen over and over and over again why Dr. Sharon is vital to this season. And this episode, she proves her worth again. Yeah. There's that when when Ted is going down that path and talking about like why he didn't attend his father's funeral because his father gave up. He's the, darkening. You can see it in his face. Yeah. And I did confirm it. I did look it up. He was 16 when his father Thank passed. you. Okay. Um that moment where she turns around and says, well, you know, what was something good that you remember about your father? And he starts to kind of like question it, but then starts going down that path. Yeah, I already knew it, but that was the moment. I think I remember rewatching this where I was like, damn, she's good. She is good because anybody that has suffered a trauma like that. And, it, you know, I mean, I've talked about, a few, you know, several times that, you know, I lost my sister, um, years back and it, it defines you. It define it, it changes you fundamentally changes you when, when something traumatic like this happens mm-hmm. and you get so caught up in your grief and so caught up in all the negative that led to the moment of that trauma that you forget. And I, and I struggle with this today. I have forgotten a lot of my happiest memories with my sister because of the shock to the system that that trauma is to mm. yourself. And I remember smiling at the end of this session that she had with Ted because she organically brought him out of a really dark spot that he was that he was headed towards that you can tell he head towards that he heads towards that dark spot often that is a path that is well worn he likes to go into that self misery and <clears throat> i think that that's why he was so angry <clears throat> cuz he had such an angry look on his face i think that that's why he was so angry when she said tell me tell me something good that you remember he looks at her like why are you screwing up my self pity right now. Like I, this is what I like to do. Like this is something he's used to doing and being brought out of his comfort zone and being brought out of that misery that he seems to love being in, I think shook him enough that he was able to come out of it naturally without him even realizing that Sharon was doing that to him. Well, look at, I mean, there's two things to kind of look at too, in regards to all that is look at the state of Ted's apartment. When Dr. Sharon shows up, that apartment is a mess. He, no, that is depression. Yeah. That that is absolutely depression. And I know that because as I'm sure you have, I have been there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I have, my apartment has looked like that. I'm not going to lie about it. Dishes Uh, in the sink. Everything's, if there's a surface, it's covered. Clothes are everywhere. Absolutely. My apartment doesn't look like that now, but it it has before. Right. Um, you know, so I know that. But even going towards the opposite end of everything, you know, the, that was the before, but the afterwards, towards the end of the funeral, when Ted talks to Rebecca and Deborah, you know, Rebecca says, like, are, you know, are you okay? And he's, is, is everything okay? And he's like, everything? Heck no. But I'm good. Yeah. Like he has realized that he has he is kind of coming out of this. And similar yeah. to Nora 
as to whether or not we ever see Nora again, which we've confirmed we don't, unfortunately. It's from this point forward, I don't remember any more panic attacks. This is a major breakthrough for Ted. Oh, maybe. Yeah. You know what? I don't either. But, you know, maybe we're wrong. But that would be an interesting thing to um, keep an to, eye on. To monitor. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I don't remember any more panic attacks for Ted. Now, granted, there's still definitely talk about, you know, all of this. Um it's not like they forget about it. Ted's trauma yeah. is still there and it's still addressed between the end of season, you know, before the end of season two and, and into season three. Yeah. But I think the panic attacks have stopped. That's interesting. That's a really interesting observation. I, I'm looking forward to to looking at that. I, I would I would probably say that, that that's probably right, that his panic attacks have stopped. Um, you know, you don't ever get over something like that. He will never 100% recover from finding his, his father no, like that no. ever. But he, if I think that with Dr. Sharon, he learns to manage it <clears throat> effectively so that it doesn't take over his life the way that it has been taking over his life for, I mean, we can even say maybe 25 years, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and that's significant. Well, and I also want to make it known too that uh, you know I don't want that because we're not we're not doing this, but I don't want people to think that this is something that like Ted has been burying this. I I want to yeah he has he's been burying this. Well, but no, but I mean to the point where I don't. Ted has honestly, I think I believe before Doctor Sharon has attempted self therapy. He has attempted self care because yeah, in the at, in a whiskey bottle. Well, not no, no. Hear me out for this one. You know, Dr. Sharon helps him to really come to grips with this by thinking of happy memories of his father. And he tells that story about, you know, his father helping him when he was trying to understand this book. And his father stayed with him and read this entire book with him because his father saw the struggles he was having. And But even before Dr. Sharon, there's that dark game going back to season one where he, he is talking about this memory of going to this sports bar with his father. This is a happy memory. He is reliving in his own head. That to me is self care. It's not working, but he has attempted self care in the past. He has attempted to kind of remember his father in a positive way but I think there's so many things that are happening right now between Henry being home and being separated from him to now to the passing of Rebecca's father. It's, it's not enough. He can't do it without help. Yeah. I, I see that. And we all get to a point like that in our lives for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's wonderful to see, uh, Ted accepting Dr. Sharon's help. And you see that, they both kind of have a breakthrough. Dr. Sharon calls him Ted for the first time this episode. And we find out Dr. Sharon also hates tea. Which he sits down and says, I'll tell you anything. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's like, and I even questioned that. I was like, what well, does she really hate tea? Or is she saying that to connect with Ted? And I think it could go either way. I don't think that, I think that her integrity is too high to, to lie. lie to him. Mm -hmm. 
especially when he says, are you going to charge me for this? And she says, oh, yeah, it's a house call. It's a house He's call. Like, I respect your integrity. <laughs> Because you know what? They can be, they could be very close, like a therapist and a patient should be with the intimacy of the information that they are sharing with one another. But Dr. Sharon has proved that she has very defined boundaries, which makes her an an effective therapist. I actually just added, I just starred one of my notes because I actually just added a third thing for spoilers in regards oh, cool. to Dr. Sharon. So okay. um, that I, I really, by the end of this season, you just view, I think as a viewer, we view Dr. Sharon as indispensable to this team. Oh, yeah. And when she's not there next year, then in next season, I don't know about you, but for me, I hated it. I was like, excuse me. Why is Dr. Sharon not here anymore? It's, it's not and that did she's, Higgins get his office back? It's not that she's not there. It's just that her role is so diminished in the third season. No, she's she, not there. She moves on to another team. No, no. I, I meant like she's still in the show. She's just oh, not right. AFC Richmond. Well, that's spoiler. what I'm saying, though. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. And that's not really a spoiler. That's just, you know, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. she moves around. We know that. Of her character. But we but, do see her in season three. Right. Because she continues to treat Ted. Um, but I love the fact that it's these two extremely hard-headed people set in their ways at the beginning of season two. And by the end of it, by, by episode 10, right, out of 12 yeah. episodes, we've got – she's calling him Ted. She allows him – to call her Doc, mm-hmm. she un- she makes a house call, which I don't think she would have done in the beginning of the of the season, and she does it without hesitation. Without she was putting on her coat before she even told him she was on the way. Yep. Yeah, she does it without hesitation. Yep. Um, Which proves that she cares about him as a person. She doesn't view him as a patient. She doesn't view him as just the coach of some football team. She now, she probably cares for and respects him deeply. Yeah. And I mean, not, and not only that, but you have to remember too, like, I think it's one of the things in the, in regards to making the house call, Ted was there for her in a moment that she needed someone and had no one. She was scared. Her. Yeah. Yeah. She, she freely admits that, you know, to him. Um, I'd like to see any added footage of um, voicemails that did not make the final cut. <laughs> not only that, but tonight, I wish- <laughs> tonight. <laughs> not only that, but we didn't talk about this when we talked about that episode two weeks ago, but I, I wanted more phone calls of Ted calling in different voices. Oh, that would have been hilarious <laughs> to like fool with her concussion. Yeah. yeah. This is this is Rick Bryan in the 92.5 KRS4 radio. Because he tells her in that moment, like, I'm going to call you. I'm going to use a different voice every time I call you to kind of change it up <laughs> a little bit. And like he does the Kermit voice and he does like one or like another voice. I wanted more of that. We never got it in the that's episode. Okay. It would have been fun um, if that was a running gag, but that's okay. But. You know, going back to Ted's therapy session on this, which, of course, 
you know, this is one of the two major things that happens in this episode. So that's why we're spending so much time on it. One of the other breakthroughs to me, too, is finding out not only that Ted discovered his father, but, you know, using that moment to talk about happy moments really i mean the brilliance in that for when it comes to dr sharon is that it it got even deeper into it where ted you you come to realize one of the reasons why ted is struggling with all this it's not just because he hates his father for giving up on life and on ted and on his mom it's the fact that part of it also stems from ted blaming himself for this you know he goes on to say like he was always a great father like that. And I kind of wish I had like, I, I now wish I told him that more that maybe he wouldn't have done what he done. If he knew he was good at things, he didn't have to be like uh, the, I, how did he put it? Like good at things he didn't have to be good at. Right. I think yeah. that's how it's addressed. I, you know, and I think that that's what a lot of people who are, um, Affected by suicide, I think that that's what a lot of people tend to think is they blame themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, how could I have made this different? How could I have helped? What What if you know? What if I had texted back quicker or called back quicker? What if I had just t- gone out to coffee with that person or or something like that? Like we try to f- to retroactively fix, yeah, what we are so powerless to fix, and um, that kind of guilt can destroy a person and you see that yeah it could be debilitating for anybody and you can see how it has held ted back in -hmm. his life with his marriage with his probably with the way that he parents henry um with the way that he doesn't get too deep with people you know i'm sure that all of that is in some way attributed to this moment in his life you know yeah so um and there's probably part of him that never really matured past 16 years old because his brain just froze right there. He, you know, he stopped. Well, I mean, he had to, if you think about it, like when that happens to somebody, you know, you hear about these moments where someone has to like, it, it's like, it's like instant, instantly, instant adulthood. You know, you, he Ted in, in an instant at the age of 16 became the man of the house. Yeah. He wasn't ready. For, yeah. He wasn't ready for it. Um, you know, and uh, not to go too spoiler deep because of it. That's going to come up. Yeah. That's going to come up. Cause next mama's season. coming to town. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's like a blueprint for why, why, uh, why are someone's nuts? <laughs> yeah. So there, there's a lot of, there's a this lot. This was also of- the episode that Jason Sudeikis um, uh, put forward for himself as well Thank- for best okay. actor. I'm glad you said that because it brought me back because I, I have that in my notes. In that watching that whole scene with him mm-hmm. talking about his father, in that scene I was like, Jesus, it's no wonder he won the Emmy. This was it. This was the okay. episode. Yeah. I'm glad you said this that was, because yeah. that makes a lot of sense. This was the episode for best actor and this was the episode for directing, which I think is beautiful because one of the most beautiful sequences of the entire season is Rebecca and Ted both telling their story and the way that it's woven together. It's gorgeously done. 
Yeah, and it shows a lot of similarities between Ted and Rebecca, which we already knew they were there. And now we find out not only are they alike in past experiences, but they're alike in trauma. Yeah, they both they're both the same hmm. person. One hides behind humor and one hides behind wealth. But they are the same person. And I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if they got together even for an instant. If 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 they put them together sort of the same way they did Rebecca and Sam. And that it was very quick. Yeah. I mean, if not for the beard if not for if Beard After Hours episode, it would have been Rebecca and Sam getting together and then in the next episode breaking up. Yeah. I I are they together at all after this? I can't no. remember. No. Okay, that's good. That's good because I, you know, uh, let, let, let's move over to this for a second. The age difference never stops bothering me. I really thought it would, and it didn't. Well, and you know what's funny too is that it doesn't bother Rebecca. Because it Which comes is great. up, it, it comes up in this episode. It doesn't bother either of them. Yeah, because when she says, "Like I feel like I need to end things with Sam," I think it's Keely that says, "This is the age difference," and she kind of like she's like, "No," she's like, "That's that's not it." Yeah, which is great. I you know, but it is very apparent that that is a point that this this episode's trying to make because when they have that conversation in the closet, she is. The way that they have set up the camera angles, the lighting, everything, she looks so much taller, so much, um, so much wiser, so much older. And then they cut over to Sam and they've got him in the shadows. The lighting is not on him the way that it is on Rebecca. He looks much shorter than he is. He looks very young as he looks up at her. They really emphasized their age difference non-verbally just by the way that they set the scene in that closet. I don't know Which if you is noticed weird. that. Well, but that's weird to, to take it in that sense, though, because that's not why the relationship ended. I know, but I just couldn't help. Like I'm looking at the way that this scene is set up and I'm like, he looks like a little boy in this, in I, this scene. I will say though, <laughs> that during the, the girls sesh, um, backstage were like there when I think it's, I think it's either sassy or, or Keely can't remember asked like, is he tall? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, is he, I don't like, you she tower is over him. an Amazon woman and she wears heels all the time. So I guess even men that are shorter than her, she still considers tall. So when I, she's in heels, how much shorter is Jason Sudeikis than her? Oh, I don't know. Because I think he still looks up at her at the end of the episode when she's talking to, when they're talking to each other about after the funeral on the way out. I still think that, because he is, he's what, six foot Five or something crazy like that. No, I don't think he's that. No, tall. he's really tall, though. I mean, I'm actually looking it up as we speak. Okay, because so, I'm. Very well, curious. while you look it up, I wanted to also say, um, Dave, my husband. For those of you who don't know, um, he didn't get any feedback in like the normal way. But he's last six night, foot. sorry, he's six foot exactly. He's, yeah, yeah. So I mean, with heels, that's she's tall. over six foot. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fair um, enough. I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's okay. He actually made a really good point that I didn't um that I didn't see 
because I, I'm stuck on the age difference between the two of them. I don't know why either. Like I've dated an older man in my past, like I, whatever, who cares? Um, but Dave is really, was mentioned that the really disgusting part about all of this is the fact that he, she is his boss. And how would this have been perceived by viewers or by the media or whatever if the roles had been reversed? If it was an all-female team and it was a male owner. And I got to tell you, that made me pause for a moment because, yeah, it would be seen much differently yes, if the would. roles were re reversed. And I think that it's important for us to remember that. Like, this was an inappropriate relationship on many different levels. This is a relationship that never, ever, 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 ever should have even gotten past the the restaurant. Well, and, and I agree with you there. I mean, even to the point where, like, during that restaurant scene, Rebecca was the one that was trying to shut it down. She yeah. knew that this should not have happened. Yep. And I think that says one, I think that says, like, two things. And I don't want this first one to seem like I'm I'm using this as, like, a negative sense, because I'm not. The charm of Sam Obasanya. <laughs> Is <laughs> the wisdom and the wisdom of Sam in that closet scene. This episode, he takes this breakup with such maturity. It is ridiculous and it can't, it, it does nothing but make you love Sam more as I a know, character. Well, and it's hard to love him more when you already love him as much as we do. I know, but even like it, it, he even says it to Rebecca is like, I, I'm. I, like when he says like I'm charming and she's like, you know, wonderful, wonderful. And he yeah. says, I'm only going to get more wonderful. I know. And she's like, I know. And as viewers were like, oh, we know. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, but he's a goldfish, you know, going back to. But it, yeah, I, I guess. But, you know, in that moment, too, like we realized that, you know, Rebecca makes confessions to her mom as to why she is same similar to Ted during his therapy session with Dr. Sharon in the moments with Rebecca and her mom, she makes confessions as to why she is the type of person that she is. Yeah. And it's because of that. She has that breakthrough and realizes that this relationship with Sam is not what she wants. It's right. what she needed at the time. Um, and now that time is over as yeah. is this relationship with Sam. And I, I feel like I agree with you. I'm glad it's over as much as, 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 as much of as a happy moment for Rebecca and Sam, as it was for the short time that it lasts, the stuff that happens without going too spoilery, the stuff that happens now with Sam going forward could have never happened. 100%. If this relationship was the way it was if it continued because the stuff with Sam going forward for even starting next episode um progressing into oh, season yeah. 3 Dunstan's coming in Dunstan <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't see him as anything other than Dunstan so it's I really know. really difficult for me to see him in this role because I'm just like, hey, you have night blindness and you can't hold on to anything. And <laughs> Which is so funny because it's a great role that he plays it is, in this but episode. He's Dunstan. But you know, the the stuff that happens to progress Sam's for Sam's story 
for this season going into season three. Yes. Is so great for Sam's character. Yes. It, this relationship with Rebecca had it continued would have stalled Sam's growth. 100%. And it probably would have done the same to Rebecca. Yeah. It would have stalled Rebecca's too. Rebecca's going to go on her own journey. Like both of them are about to evolve in their personal lives. That probably stems from this relationship. They both got confidence. They both felt desirable. They both felt like, um, they were with somebody. I mean, they were, they were equals in a lot of respects, you know, it just wasn't the right time for them. And there's just no way, there's no way that it would have ever worked. Yeah. There's no way I, it would have No, I agree. Worked. I agree with you. Even in, like you said, even in the public eye, it just would not have been. Yeah. And it, it, it would have, have taken over anything good that the Richmond team had made together. It would have sullied it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it would have been favoritism. Well, because the media it, sucks. Even, even if it wasn't favoritism, it would right. have been looked at as favoritism. Right. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Yes. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think of never gonna give you up, <laughs> never gonna say goodbye. That's not the lyrics, but we'll, we'll I continue. don't care. <laughs> but yeah, so let's talk about the fact that Rebecca Rick rolled an entire funeral. It, we uh, the whole episode we got Rick rolled, yeah. And her I just family, realized, I just realized the plan I had. Rick rolled. I realized the plan I had for this episode. I didn't. I didn't do it. So now I'm like, damn it! <laughs> uh, I was going to have it in the soundboard so that I could play it at some. That would have been fun, but and you know what? That's yeah. okay. It is. What it I is. loved it that Deborah never knew what Rick Astley looked like. I. I it's so funny because that is such a popular point, in that so many people did not realize it until Rick Rowling became a thing. That it's a little white guy. That that singing. it's a white guy. Yeah, yeah, a skinny white dude. <laughs> yeah, nobody. It, a, a number of people were like that. Like it, a lot of people didn't realize that's, you know, that he was that he's, he's a white guy because a lot of yeah. people did think he was black. Right. Well, yeah. It was kind of like the first time I ever saw Christina Aguilera after hearing her sing. And it was like this tiny little white girl. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that just came, that sound just came out of that little person right there? That, yeah, that came out of them. Um, But so, I mean, it, it's, you know, talking a little bit about that song and, and kind of the meaning to it. I, I really, <sighs> I had so many thoughts about this and now I can't think of any of them because I didn't write them all down. That's okay. <laughs> so um I did think about one thing though that when you you know because obviously the first instance of that we get of this song is is it waking up Rebecca when she's sleeping in her childhood bed she's back at home and <laughs> Deborah is playing it because it makes her happy. Even her yeah even her morning got Rick rolled. That's right. That's right. Her morning got rickrolled too. That's fantastic. I didn't even think about that. And, and that's why it kind of makes sense that he um or that that Rebecca rickrolls an entire funeral with it too. 
But one of the things I thought about at the end is that when Rebecca and, and Deborah are lying in the bed and they're watching that videotape, um, it, it, is it me or does it seem like... So I took this, the way I viewed this is because, you know, they're watching that videotape of, of the childhood memories and then all of a sudden the video starts playing. And Rebecca didn't know about this tape because her mom brought it out. And Deborah didn't know that Rick Astley was white. Therefore, who recorded that video? Dad. Dad. Yeah. That's a connection between Deborah and her husband. Yeah, this it is, is. It's it's one of the reasons why I think Deborah was playing that song that morning. It's a happy memory of her husband who just passed. Yeah, probably. But she's always woken up with that song every single morning. That's what she said. But again, it's still it's a connection to right. to her husband. Yeah. I just love it. I like having it play in every room in the house. Oh my gosh. My parents do that. My so I grew up the same way. I would be asleep on like a Saturday or a Sunday morning and Michael Bolton, yes, oh Michael Bolton would be playing through Every single speaker through the house. What song? Every weekend. All of them. <laughs> All of them. All of them. Michael Bolton and Kenny G. It was not great. See, I'd go Bolton over Kenny G. No, no. Remember their album that they did together? No, oh, you they don't? did an album together? Well, I do because that's what was played. <laughs> you don't? All well, I the- do time I you did an album together look it's not that great okay i just want to let you know not that great okay who cares i didn't even know they did an album together michael bolton kenny g michael bolton kenny g michael bolton kenny g uh i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna have to look it up just to or maybe i won't i don't know <laughs> i i don't know michael but bolton, yeah so kenny like g. i i are you looking it up? No. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I wasn't looking directly at the screen, so I didn't see that you weren't looking it up. I've got my Sith hood up right now. Your what? It looks Sith like a poncho. Hood. No, I Not know, but hood. I've got, look, see, I'm a Sith Lord. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. This is great radio. I know, All right? right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I mean, and not only that, so like this is another great moment. Like the song is actually a really good choice of song because I mean, it is honestly like it, it first off, it's just a catchy song. Anybody who's ever heard, never going to give you up knows that it's, you know, she knows her mother loves the song because of the moment waking up in the morning. So this is a way for her, even though she's angry at her mother in this moment because her mother reveals that she knew about the cheating that her father was doing the cheating that Rebecca is the one that came home and walked in on. Hmm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a way to singing that song during the eulogy was a way for her to kind of get through the nerves of <laughs> delivering a eulogy for a man that she kind of had an ill will towards, but at the same time, it, doing it through loving memory and also reconnecting with her mother at the same time. Yeah. Because she knew how much her mother 
like this song. Like she's really conveying the love she has for her mom, not even just her mom, but her parents in, in one way together. I don't know that it was for her dad. I think that she, it was more for her mom. I think that she just didn't have a lot of good memories of her dad. And I think that she was there for her mom. She wants to support her mom. She loves her mom. Um, but maybe her parents, I don't know. I mean, I just got, this was a breakthrough for her and her mother's relationship. Like at the end of their private conversation, Deborah even says, I will take hate over indifference any day. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I And I love the fact that, you know, when, when we talk about the eulogy and, you know, like, we find out like how much Ted just being in the room comforts people. Right. When Ted walks in, beard smiles, <clears throat> Keely smiles, and Rebecca smiles. Because Ted is a comfort. And he doesn't even have to say anything to be a comfort. Yeah. Just him being present is a comfort to so many people because of Ted being Ted. Yeah. And Ted being Ted knows how to get Rebecca through this moment Mm. in that she is singing this song. Everybody is looking at her awkwardly because she's singing this song. And then he sings it with her, which leads everybody to singing it with her. Yeah. It is such a great moment that I was already emotional and crying with Ted making his confessions about his father to the point where like the, the, the dam had already burst at this point. Like anybody who watches a movie knows that once you cry for the first time in a movie, you are so susceptible to crying again before the end of the movie. Yeah. You break the seal. Yeah. The seal has been broken. (laughs) I, I cried again during this moment. But, but yeah. happy tears. So, yeah. I so, sorry. It's I a feel heavy like episode. It's no, it's okay. It's a, it's a heavy episode. There's not a lot of joy to be uh, to glean from this episode. But I do agree with you about Ted being a comfort. You know. Yeah, he, he's a comfort to a lot of people. He's a comfort to me. And and. It, it, I agree with that. And it also furthers the point I have made numerous times. When Ted cries, I cry. When any male cries, I'm done. I'm done. Because I can't handle it. Going real quick, going back quickly, just a Ted's therapy moment with Dr. Sharon. When it's over and he asks her for a hug. Like, I like I don't know if this is professional, but like, can I get a hug? And she's like, yeah. Like, like, absolutely. And they, they hug it out. And then that's when we get the, are you going to charge me for this? <laughs> I respect your integrity. I respect your integrity. <laughs> um, we spent a lot of time on Ted and Rebecca, which is appropriate, because that's who this episode is about. It's, you know, it's for both of these people. Um, but I was going back to the girl session for a moment, which is arguably one of the funniest moments of this episode. I love the fact that it, it took one clue. For, yeah. Is he tall? Real, 
for Keely to realize is Sam. How the fuck did you know that? <laughs> like she got it in one clue. Keely's a witch. Keely is amazing. She is so she is such a fantastic character. Yeah. She's strong, she's funny. Um you know, even to the point where she like at the beginning of, before the funeral starts and she tells her Becca like I'll never leave your side. And then she sees Sassy and immediately <laughs> runs <laughs> runs off. And Roy's like I'm used to it. <laughs> But, you know, talking about Keely and Roy and Roy's, the way Roy looks at funerals and death. And and then throwing Jamie into the mix later at the end of this episode. I think that was unnecessary. Why? Because I think that it's okay for a relationship to be over. I agree. I agree with you on that. Um, if nothing else, it just it complicates things with Keely. But that's but that's the thing. We don't need that. You and I have talked about this all the time, several times. We don't need it anymore. That's a it's an old trope that does not need to be revisited anymore. The what the rekindling of a relationship? I love you. I'll always love you. Oh no, well my boyfriend loves me too. What am I gonna oh. do? Uh no, shut up. Who cares? What's well, one of that the relationship reasons- is over. Well, it's also one of the reasons why I say the the whole concept of a love triangle. I've said this during Lost too. Uh the concept of a love triangle does not exist. Well, in this case, it actually could pro- possibly exist because Jamie Jamie's hero is Roy Kent. It it would it, so it's a different kind of love, right? Exactly. For, but I'm between saying, Roy and and, and by your standards, it could be a love triangle. Okay, in that sense, yes. Like I said, if you look at it as in like it is a different kind of love than like Roy and Keeley or Jamie and Keeley, the love between Roy and Jamie is a respectful. Love. I don't it's know. Not, I mean, it's, Jamie's childhood bedroom says it all. Oh, <laughs> that's this is also true. <laughs> we will that will we will get to that in season three <laughs> when we actually see Jamie's childhood bedroom. Yeah. Um, it's like his whole future is on his walls. <laughs> you know, but even talking about just like sassy or not sassy, um, Keely and Roy and Roy's attitude towards funerals, like it's. It's where a lot of the quotes I have for this episode actually come from. It comes from Roy's attitude towards funerals. So I'll save some of the quotes for when we talk about them. Um, but he is kind of being a little childish about it. Uh, people, you know, re- people view death very differently. And it, I think it's just all a coping mechanism for the fact that death is coming and humans don't know how to handle that most of the time. That's a good point. Um, looking at some of my other notes, do you have other, do you have anything else? The only thing that I wanted to mention was that Nate is the only one at the funeral that is not wearing black. Thank you. That was another point I had too. And it's another, um, I I have it. I had it. I got to find it again, but there's that moment where 
Jan, who Sean. we know speaks the truth. He's terrible in social situations. There's being Dutch and there's being an asshole. <laughs> but, you know, Keely calls out Nate, not calls about, but says, is that the suit that Ted got you? And Nate kind of plays it off. Like, I don't remember, but y- yeah, like this is the suit. And Keely's, you know, very complimentary. It's like, oh, it's it's really nice. And Jan says, another man buying you clothes is infantizing. Like, I don't remember exactly how to pronounce the word. But he's basically saying, like, it's childish. Like, Ted is treating you like a child by buying you the suit. But he's... N- mm-hmm. You know, and Nate's like, well, Even no. Jamie, even... Jamie knows yeah. that that Jan took it too far. Uh, he's yeah, just he's like, like, are yeah. you kidding me? Because well, Keely <laughs> says like, whoa. And Jamie's like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know, and he's like, well, and Nate's like responds. He's like, well, no, he, do- he doesn't buy all of my clothes. Most of them are gifts from my mom, which isn't helping your cause there. Um, but, I, you know, in that moment there, Jan really knocks Nate down a peg. He makes him look like a child. Which just adds to mm-hmm. everything else. Which leads to something that happens in this episode that we're going to talk about in spoilers. Yep. That I didn't catch until- The first time around. Yep, nope. me too. Me too. Did not catch it the first yep. time. Me too. And then the second, <laughs> upon rewatch, I was like, oh shit. So, um, so we'll talk about that during spoilers. Um, let me see. Looking at my notes. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have anything else to say about the whole suit situation? Because you're the one that brought that up. Um, I just thought it was interesting because it feels to me like we have seen – this is just another example of Nate not being a part of the team, you know? Nate is not wearing black like the rest of the team. Nate wears a suit on the pitch. Nate wants his office to just be his office. You know, Ted and Beard share an office. You mm-hmm. know, Higgins <laughs> carries around his office. You know, um, Nate wants to be singular. He wants to stand out. He wants to be special. He wants to be... Uh, <sighs> different somehow he wants to be he wants to be not what he is right now he he just cannot accept who he is and i think that while and and maybe it's just as simple as nate doesn't have another suit and all he has is a gray suit uh, a light gray suit you know it could be as simple as that because he never got another suit how, but I don't think that that's true because he's been wearing suits. Yeah, I mean, the even pitch. there's that moment where Nate, where Ted sees him in the suit for the first time, and he know that's not the suit he bought him. Right, that's a different suit, and it's a black suit. It's dark yeah. suit. So he has a black suit. He, we know he has it. He intentionally wore this suit, and I think it's probably to separate himself from the team. I think that he likes to feel that he is above everyone else. Um, And again, it's that unchecked, that unchecked, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? I don't know. That unchecked power trip, for lack of a better better word, right? Ted's not paying attention because he's on his own journey. Beard's paying attention, but it's not his place. Um, 
and the rest of them don't care. So it's just interesting to me that we have something so small, like this light gray suit, to just remind us that Nate is still somehow separate and not a part of the team. Well, I mean, yeah, he he wears a gray suit when everybody wears black because he wants to stand out. He wants to be seen, uh, you know, because people are going to notice a gray suit amongst a sea of black. You know, right. everybody else wearing black, you kind of just blend in. And that's kind of the point of a funeral is you're not meant to stand out. You know, everybody is there to convey their grief. Everybody is there for the same reason. Everybody is there together. That's right. why everybody wears black. So for Nate to do this at this point in time is, I mean, again, it's him trying to be someone that he's not. Right. And, you know, even going a step forward with that too, is when he, when the team gets off the bus and everybody's saying they're, you know, they're, their condolences to Rebecca. He's the one that kind of tries to chime in and sound like he has wisdom to share, which he has none. And he fails at it. Yeah. You know, he even says, he's like, fathers are the training wheels on the bikes. And uh, sorry, I, I just didn't want to say what they said. So I'm I just sorry for your be, loss. I didn't want to be a part of the team. I didn't want to be one of the dumb ones. Yeah. I wanted to be different than everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody else is saying, sorry for your loss. Sorry for your loss. I wanted to share wisdom. I wanted to be different. And he, and he doesn't pull it off. He fails. Cause he's not wise. He's something that he's trying to be something he's not. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. That's it though. That just, just the suit because everything else I have to say is about spoilers. Um, so I, I just, I have a couple little things here that I'll mention in quick succession and then we'll, we'll move on to spoilers. Um, I love the fact that the team showed up. Everybody on the team showed up. But I also love the fact that it was McAdoo as the team captain that pulled this together. What a great pick for team captain. Good right? job, Roy Kent. Yeah. Well, Roy saw something in, in, in McAdoo, in Isaac, that nobody else saw. Right. And that shows the strength that Roy has. As a coach. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's like, this means, like, we're all going to this funeral. This means suits. And no trainers, no trainers. <laughs> and seeing Zoro, like, what if they're a really good pair of Yeezys? What color? what color? Bright red. He's like, I'll go buy dress shoes. Yeah. I just like it that Colin's like, I just don't have time to stand in line. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they, the fact that they think any pair of shoes you buy means waiting in line. Outside the store. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie's just like, you just go to a store, man. (laughs) You don't have to do that with these kind of shoes. Like you just, you just go. This is where I love Jamie because Jamie really, I mean, he is of the world a little bit more than these, you know, new money, uh, young players. I mean, Jamie grew up, you can tell Jamie grew up poor. Well, I, well, and uh, that's, that's also true, but I also like going back to that Keely moment towards the end of the episode too, when he says like, I feel like I'm the best version of myself. There's so much truth to that now. Yeah, I agree. He really is the best version of Jamie Tart. There's no, there's no hating Jamie from, from here on out. I mean, he's just wonderful in every way, even when he's being a big dumb dope, he's just wonderful. (laughs) You're just like, Jamie Tart, I love you. 
do, 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 do. I love you. <laughs> but I like, uh, you know, again, like I love the fact that it's that's Isaac that is the one that brings the team together, tells the team, like, as a captain, yeah. we are going here. This is how we dress. I love the fact that Danny Rojas has never worn dress shoes before. He cannot handle it. <laughs> and he can't that, handle it at all. But that to me is very. That doesn't go. It would have been, I understand why they did it because he's Danny Rojas and they needed to do something. But Danny Rojas obviously grew up in Mexico, right? He's from Mexico? Yeah. I don't, I didn't know if he was from a different South American country. That's why I asked because he played for his team and I can't remember if it was Mexico or not. I think he's Mexican. But that culture is very, very Catholic. And you could tell he's very, very Catholic because of after he killed the dog, he just prayed in the shower for hours, right? So, in like, I would think that his mother made him wear dress shoes and a suit to church every single Sunday growing up. Well, I mean, I can see that too. And Danny Rojas is from Mexico. I just I okay, looked thank it up. you. Um, but I can also see like it being, as you mentioned, like maybe from where he came from, they did attend church every Sunday, but they just didn't have the means to. But that's to what wear I'm saying is shoes. that I would think that with because of Mexican culture and, and Catholicism, um, if you have money, it's to dress for God. If you okay. have any extra right. money, it's to dress for God. Because I mean, I've been. You know, I've been to to Africa where they have nothing. And I've been to a church service in Africa and they have got on their absolute best clothes for church. Okay. So that but that but I mean again, that's me going way too deep in it. Right. Well maybe maybe also Danny just didn't because he's never bought, he's probably never bought them for himself. Oh, so maybe he bought the wrong kind. He of bought shoes. the wrong or the wrong size. Oh, he probably brought bought the wrong size. I, he looked so uncomfortable. Well, to the point where he's wearing slippers at the end. He's wearing that Rebecca's was, slippers. That was the best. That was. She's like, "Why don't you keep them?" Yeah. Why don't you and keep then them? he said, uh, "This woman is an angel in Spanish." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Um, the only other two things I have uh, real quick. I love the fact that Nora was okay with the fact that Rebecca was dating Sam. Cause we Are you know kidding Sam- me? Of course she was. Yeah. Well, because like we see Rebecca apologize to Nora because she knows how much Nora loves Sam. Her boss ass bitch. Yeah. <laughs> and then watching the vicar kind of like, like, did you just say what I think you just said in my church? Um, but the only other thing I have left before we get into spoiler territory, too, is uh, choice selection of easy lover. Um, because well, we've heard that conversation earlier yes. between Beard and Ted. Yes. And that a man shouldn't take any longer than the song Easy Lover by Phil Collins. <laughs> and we see him getting ready to Easy Lover by Phil he Collins. He looks manic. In that scene, his hair's out of place. His face is red. He's singing the song almost angrily. Like he does not look well. Well, because that panic attack is coming. Well, right. But I'm just saying like, he's clearly trying to push through something Mm -hmm. and it's just, you can see it breaking apart in that scene. Jason Sudeikis is amazing in this episode. He's fantastic. And again, like, I'm glad you said this was the episode they submitted for acting for him because 
I watched that scene with him and Sharon and I was like, Jesus Christ, like it's no wonder he won the Emmy. And now I know why. Yep. Because this was the episode. Any anything final for this before we go into spoilers? No. Okay. So then with that being said, if this is your first watch and you want to avoid spoilers, now is the time to kind of pause and then fast forward, check the show notes to find out where to fast forward to. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. This one spoiler I know we both have when it comes to this. The thing that we didn't notice until upon second viewing, and that is Rupert soliciting Nate to take over as coach of. Right after giving up his shares. The shares back because I'm sure there is a rule that you cannot own two teams. Yep. Yeah. Um, that one two punch is so obvious and foreshadowing that we all missed. Yeah. And it's because it's so quick and it's so mm-hmm. subtle that after Rupert gives up his tells Rebecca, like, you can have the shares, I'm too busy with my baby. Uh huh. You know, so you can have my shares, making Rebecca full owner now of. Mm-hmm. AFC Richmond. And then it's it's so subtle. We see him whispering in Nate's ear before he leaves. Yep. And it's because we're going to find out next episode, I believe, that Rupert has purchased West Ham United. Yeah. And where does Nate end up at the end of this season as the head coach of West Ham United? That was Rupert telling Nate, if you ever want another job, I value you the way they don't. Liar. Yeah. And we see everything that has been building up with Nate come to a culmination in the finale, and it's where Nate ends up as as the head coach of West Ham United. And in those last moments of this season, he goes full gray. Yeah. He no longer has his black hair. Um, and I think that he is getting more and more gray throughout the season, but he is full gray at the end of the season when they like pan up on him as the new coach. But it just really highlights also just how toxic Rupert is because Rupert can see the weaklings. He can look at a room and he knows who the weak ones are mm-hmm. and he knows that he can prey on them. And in this moment, he needed someone new to prey on to get to Rebecca because Rebecca has had her own breakthrough and she has decided not to let Rupert get to her anymore. And you can see that he has realized that as he says goodbye to her. I would even say that he formulates this plan on the spot. I'm going to give you your, your shares back and then I'm going to take this guy. I'm going to try and ruin your life a different way. Well, I say yes and no to that. I, I don't think he would have told. I don't think he would have said anything to Ru. I think the plan to buy West Ham was already in motion. Um, I I don't. I think the whole idea of taking Nate was on the spot. But I don't think. Yeah, because the- he probably would have wanted to take the old coach, short shorts. Yeah, yeah, testicle uh, revealer. Uh, but yeah, this I, is a family establishment. Put the mouse back in the house. 
<laughs> but yeah, I think I think the idea to take Nate was on the spot. I think that happened at the funeral. <clears throat> I think the idea to to buy West Ham was already because I think maybe that's it why was formulating in his mind. But I really feel because he stopped and turned around and said, "Oh, we've decided to give Rebecca shares to you or Beck's shares back to you," and you know, blah blah blah. And she's like, like a funeral present. Like she like they showed up with the baby and the new wife to to ruin Rebecca's day. Well, I, and uh, I think I think the whole w- giving back the shares was part of that. I don't. I think that's why he I, I was there because giving back giving back the shares means that that's handing Rebecca a win in that moment on a really bad day. That's something kind. So well, because, I don't. Yeah, uh, I, go ahead. he doesn't do anything kind for her ever. N- no, because like you said, like it, what started as a two player game in season one has since become a one player game because Rebecca's not playing anymore. Especially at this episode, she's done. I think and she's been she's done like, before. Oh, this. we would love to have you over for blah, blah, blah. And yada, yada. Like she understands what her mom does. And I don't think she really understood until this episode, you know, like you just, there are, there are these moments of evolve, evolvement that we have in our lives. And I think that this was a big one, a big episode for Rebecca in that respect. And any abusive person is always going to prey on weakness. And in this moment, as Rupert is saying goodbye to Rebecca, there is no weakness in Rebecca. And she's flanked by people who give her strength. There is no penetrating her. So he's going to shift on the spot to something to something new because I think that that's what abusers do. I, they just I, find a different angle. I can see where you're coming from too, but I also I just don't think that buying West Ham United was just a whim decision to get back to Rebecca. I think that no, plan not was at all. That's not works. what I'm saying. What I'm saying is is that the decision was probably made in that moment. He was probably hanging on to those shares because it bothered Rebecca so much. But well, now, let's not. But let's not forget, though, the loophole in the system is that he could have bought West Ham United and kept his shares of AFC Richmond because the shares of AFC Richmond's were not his; they were Bex's. So he yeah, could have hung married. on to. So how does that work? I don't know, but that's what I mean. Like, here's like if the, Beyonce and Jay Z each own part of a team, like would here, that be legal? But here, not if they purchased them while they were married. I think the loophole falls in that the shares were given, they owned the shares before they were married. But here's but here's my reasoning as to why I don't think this was an on-the-whim decision. Because I don't think Rupert makes on-the-whim decisions. He plans the game the next the next move in this game against Rebecca. He's never done anything spontaneous like this. And not only that, but if it was in if it was a spontaneous decision to do this. He he the the move to purchase West Ham United had to have already been in the works because otherwise he was making an offer to Nate that didn't exist. You're not going to no, I and and no I totally understand what you're saying. I really do. I totally understand what you're saying. I think that he hadn't fully made the decision to buy the team. No, I disagree. Until, I I think that was already in the I works. I think it 
I think it was in the works, but I think that he was holding out for whatever reason. And, you know, we'll never know because this is all speculation. But um, I don't know. I mean, I would turn it to the listeners. What do you think? Yeah. Um, the other two things. The I last ha- time I turned it to the listeners, nobody agreed with me. Rom-coms are stupid. You had a couple people team. I had like- Lindsay Schlicht. And you know what? She's a genius and I love her. And I'm so glad that she stuck with me. But everybody else is like, rom-coms are amazing. Yay. Blah, blah. Uh, the other two things I have are, for spoilers, <laughs> moving on, uh, that I could say just are very quickly, you know, the whole thing with Jamie admitting his feelings to Keely. This is going to stir up some things because we're going to see Roy and Keely take a break at the end of this episode. Uh, they are not together going into season three, unfortunately, because they are such a great couple. I think uh, that this was a big misstep for the show. So much so that by the end of season three, you are still questioning as to who she's with. If she's with any of them, either of them. Because they never should have messed up that relationship. There is a new relationship for Keely coming in season three. They never should have messed up. I, and Keely. I agree with you. I it is the one misstep you. of this entire show. I feel like they kind of, I mean, I get why they were doing it. Keely's Keely's journey in season three, when she starts her own marketing company right now, she is just doing marketing for ASC Richmond. When she creates her own marketing company, um, they needed to show that Keely was a strong enough person to do this on her own. She didn't need a partner, whether it's an immature partner like Jamie or a mature partner like Roy. She didn't need a partner. So for her to do this on her own, they needed to separate her and Roy. I don't know. Um, I think it's okay to say that you are strengthened by your partner. I think I, that's okay. I see that. I don't know. I, 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 I agree with you. I think it's, it was a misstep to not put them back together. Yeah. I, you know, I just, it's the one storyline I hate in season three. And after just, her, after her and Jack, they needed to put her and Roy back together. Her and Jack lasted too long. Her and Jack is toxic. Yeah. Jack just sucks. Jack just sucks. Yes. <laughs> Been a while since we played that one. Yes. Well, it's going to be played a lot coming up. Season three. Uh, and then the only other thing I have, too, this is the one I thought of as we were talking about when it comes to Dr. Sharon, is, you know, the breakthroughs that Dr. Sharon has is by the end of this series, she is no longer a roving therapist. She goes back to AFC Richmond and she stays at AFC Richmond. The lasso way or the Richmond way, but she has her own office. Her name is on the door. She is a permanent <laughs> fixture. And that's something that Higgins didn't even get. I, I, I know. <laughs> but she has her own office with her name on the door because she is a permanent fixture at AFC Richmond by the end. This would not have happened if not for this relationship with Ted. I, c- Richmond wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Ted. No, but I mean, like, specifically for Dr. Sharon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. The way her story ends with this yeah. series would, if she was not doing therapy with Ted and she did not build this connection with Ted, it's it, specifically the things that happen in this episode, she would not have stayed. 
because mm. we're going to see by the end of the season in the finale, she has a hard time leaving Ted. She says goodbye. If you remember, she says goodbye to every single person with, before she leaves, except for Ted. She writes him a note because she can't face it emotionally telling it's too him hard. in person. It's too mm -hmm. difficult. Yeah. She has never had that before. Yep. She she's, grew. She's always been able to just say goodbye and move on. Yep. But with Ted, she has to write him a letter because yeah. she can't do it face to face. That connection that the two of them build is incredible. You could say that with Ted with everybody. True. Everybody needs a Ted in their lives. But that's all I have for spoilers. Anything else for you? Nope, I'm good. All right. So then uh, welcome back to everybody else as we talk about some of our favorite quotes from the episode. And did you say you had any? I can't remember. No, I have zero. You have zero. Uh, so the only ones I have come from, they're basically all Roy and Keeley, uh, with the exception of one. With Sassy. Uh, with Sassy. <laughs> when Rupert's like, Sassy? Oh, decrepit shitbag. Uh, oh, come on, Sass. Let's let bygones be bygones. Huh? I've got a daughter now. I've changed. Oh, right. Having a daughter erases all the shitty things you've done to women in your lifetime. Cool, Rupert. <laughs> or cool. Rupert, I think about your death every single day. Oh, I can't wait. I'm going to wear red to your funeral. I will be a beacon of joy to the other three people there. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Always so a pleasure, awesome. Sassy. Fuck off and die, Rupert. That's a um, friend. Uh, Roy and Keeley. Uh, so where do you think her father is now? In the drawer of a funeral home. No, I mean like spiritually. In the drawer of a funeral home. Like you could tell Roy just has no... He did no belief in uh in the afterlife. Uh, and then Roy and Keeley later. Roy, if you die, do you want to be buried or cremated? Like if you were hit by a bus today, what do I do? Go after the bus driver and make him pay for what he did. Avenge me, Keeley. Avenge me. <laughs> and then he's like, he's like, the funeral is really messing with your head. Uh, I found this company and they bury you in a biodegradable sack. So when your body decomposes, it fertilizes the seeds of a fruit tree, fruit tree. That's what I want because when, because then you and all the other people that love me can eat the fruit from my tree. <laughs> That's fucking mental <laughs> coming from the guy that wants me to ruin a bus driver's life just because he killed you swerving to avoid a child. I didn't know about the fucking child. <laughs> I just like the idea that my death can nourish people with fruit made from your rotting corpse. I wouldn't eat that, but you'll eat a kebab that you'll find a hair in. It's fine. If you know who the hair is from, that's part of the deal. He's a lovely bloke. I like it when he shows up later with an apple and he's that like, the, I got this from a tree. That's the last quote that I have. And Keely's like, is that a fucking apple? I got it from a tree outside. Tastes like dead people. <laughs> That's you not funny, Roy. No, but it's surprisingly delicious. <laughs> Cheer up, Keely. It's a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Keely's thoughts on funerals, too, is totally right as well. When she's like, you're going to a party, but you have to act sad. Like, it, it really, uh, funerals are weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's all I have for quotes though. It's just a lot of Roy and Keely interactions. Yeah. 
and Sassy because Sassy's the best. Yeah. And Sassy and Ted leave together. Yes, they do. At the end, too. So we know that casual relationship is is continuing. Of course it is. And Ted kind of needed it in that moment. Yeah. Like, and she good, knows it because yep. Sassy likes wounded birds. Yes, she, yes, she does. Um, Cool. So then let's go into the feedback session of the podcast, in which we have a couple. Uh, we have a voicemail from our friend Jeff, who sent us a voicemail for Beard After Hours from last week because he's playing catch-up like, like Greg is. Uh, and then we have Facebook feedback from Megan and a voicemail from our friend Alex. So let's go with... Do we want to start with Jeff first, since that was sure. from last week? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so Jeff Allen uh, left us feedback from uh, Beard After Hours, so let's play that now. Hey, Ben and Kristen, it's Jeff. I am finally getting in my feedback for Beard After Hours. And as for Beard and Jane's relationship, I'm so glad nobody asked, because yeah, I've got some thoughts. Oh, here we go. Uh, I was pretty surprised that you guys said that this was a turning point episode for you with Jane, where you started to accept her and feel more comfortable with her as Beard's girlfriend. Um, for me, this was also a turning point episode, whereas to this point, I had disliked Jane. Uh, from this point forward, I understood that this was an actual abusive relationship. And I was just hoping, hoping that Beard would get out of it by the end of the series. Here's a uh, greatest hit sampler from the text messages that Jane left for Beard. Uh, Fuck you, Beard. You know, there's a lot of men after me tonight. I turned down three guys already. Make that four. A guy kissed me while I was writing that text. You would have loved this place, but you would have ruined it. I don't even love you. It was a joke. Okay, I literally couldn't give a fuck what you're doing, but don't you dare ever speak to me again. Don't come crawling back to me ever. You're dead to me, literally dead. Like, I hope you're lying face down in a ditch somewhere and a squirrel is eating you. A fucking squirrel is eating you from the feet up until all that's left is your fucking beard and nothing else. This was all happening while Beard was having the shit beat out of him by James Tart. At the very end, Jane does worry that Beard might not be okay. But uh, when she sees Beard in the club, she seems perfectly fine. She's not at all, oh my god, you know, I'm glad you're okay, or I'm sorry that I blew up your phone with 80 text messages about how I want you to be eaten by a fucking rodent. Um, yeah, it's just dropped and never brought up again. So, uh, yeah, I, I have dated a Jane Payne, and it is an abusive relationship, and it's the one thing that I do fault Ted Lasso for is not acknowledging uh, the abuse that was present here. So anyways, uh, those are my many thoughts. Um, next week's should be a much lighter episode with, uh, let me just check my notes here. Oh, a dead father. Excellent. That will be fun for me. Um, <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Um, oh, buddy. I sorry, get it. Jeff. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry, but holy cow. <laughs> I've just I've I've been in those toxic relationships before too. Um, I don't know. I just saw it a little bit differently because I don't see, I don't know. I, I, but I, Jeff, I totally get what you're seeing. And, and I knew he had thoughts on this episode, which is why I was actually a little surprised. We didn't get feedback from him last week, but I'm glad you sent it in this week. Cause I wanted to hear what those thoughts were. Yeah. hundred percent. 
So and and now I know. And that greatest hits of the texts of the texts is I can definitely see where your thoughts lie on this, Jeff, because they are some toxic, toxic text messages. They are, but I mean Beard is just as toxic. With Jane, you think? I think that they are two gnarled tree branches that twine over each other and just fester and rot until they're one tree branch that eventually grows something beautiful. That's a good way to put it. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's I I, I started seeing things a little differently after Beard After Hours. And and that is me coming from a toxic relationship. So or having been in a toxic relationship before. So I guess it's just a matter of perspective. But I appreciate, Jeff, I, we appreciate yours. 100%. So, uh, all right, moving on. We do have a piece of feedback from our friend Megan Dively-Lehman that was posted on Facebook. And she says, uh, this episode had some of the funniest and memorable scenes. I loved the look on the vicar's face when he had to bust up the ladies. But the more I saw of Rebecca's family of origin... Uh, Rebecca's family of origin and her culture background, the more confused I got about how Rupert supposedly discovered her as a poor young bartender or waitress. Were her parents rich too? And somehow Rebecca and Rupert's marriage was short enough that she went from being an active presence in Sassy's daughter's life at an age when the daughter would remember her to disappearing into her marriage, then reconciling with Sassy and her daughter, who was still a preteen or young teen. So she couldn't have been married uh, more than what ten years, based on the daughter's age. And no, Rebecca, stop, stop for just a second, because I'm going to forget. So they say in that episode that she hadn't seen Nora in six years. So okay. she was she was married for twelve years to Rupert, but the deeper she got into that marriage, the yeah. more she left. Yeah, it's not that she forgot Nora the moment she got married. Right. It was the further she got into it, that was when she started, you know, right. not seeing Nora as much to the point right. where she just didn't see her anymore. And I think that she was poorer, at least then, where her the people that she associated with growing up, because she said, everybody had a pool in the backyard, and you had a bowl, mm -hmm. and that was our pool. And you loved it, and she loved it. Well, and that's the thing, like the family that she comes from, you can tell by the house and the memories that they might have been like upper middle class or lower upper class. But when she was with Rupert, she was upper, upper class. Anything was going to look poorer. Right. Than what she was in when she was with Rupert. Right. Anything. Anything. Yeah. So even right. lower upper class was going to look poorer than where she was with He's Rupert. a one percenter for sure. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but continuing on, she um, she says, and Rebecca was young and dumb when she married Rupert, but now is old enough that she's not too uh, not sure if it's too late to have kids. I think there was some sloppy writing con continuity because they didn't quite know what they wanted to do with Rebecca early on, but I've only seen the series through once. So maybe you can correct me and make it all make sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's, it's a matter of perspective of, well, no, it's not a matter of perspective. It's a matter of how it was written in right. that she was, you know, like you said, she was married to Rupert for 12 years. It's a, a, you know, when you're in a marriage like that, that's a long time. Yeah. Um, it seems like so much longer. So, you know, and even saying like, 
you know, she was young and dumb. Look, she's not, she's not incredibly old. She's only a year or two older than we are. Right. Now, she's like what, we, we think that she's what, 44, 45. I think she's mid forties at yeah. this point, you know, because we know there was a big age difference between her and Rupert as well. Right. So I think there was like a, I think, what did we figure it out? I think 25, 26 year age difference between yeah, so the two So she's used them. to age differences. Right. She just, so, she just went the other way. She became Rupert in that instance, Whoop. which I think is another reason why it, she calls this off. That should probably why she was uncomfortable with it because she saw Bex and Rupert together. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's interesting. That's an yeah. interesting observation. I, I didn't think even put that together. I Good think, job. Yeah, I think she saw she was becoming Rupert in that moment. Ooh, I would. I would get rid of everything. I would burn <laughs> everything in my life if I saw myself becoming Rupert. I'd be like, nope, nope, burn, 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 sage, sage, smudge, smudge. <laughs> Sage, sage, smudge, smudge. <laughs> um, but thank you, Megan, regardless for, for absolutely sending, sending in the feedback. Uh, and the last piece we have comes from, of course, our friend Alex Kruger, who's been sending us feedback every week. Uh, and it's actually going to be on this coming episode, same day you're hearing this. Uh, his episode with me on Wilhelm is also releasing. Baseball uh, movies. Baseball movies, yeah. We got a... I'm sorry to break for a minute. I, I'm going to talk about it more when we go into recommendations and such, but we got a, I got a shit ton of feedback for this episode, like over 20 people. I, it's going to take me a while to get through all That's the feedback. Awesome. And I can't wait to read off all the feedback for That's this episode. Awesome. It's going to be great. Uh, but he did leave us a voicemail. So let's go ahead and play that now. <laughs> Sorry. It was bound to come. <laughs> I hope it threw people off when I said I didn't have it prepared. Never going to give you up. <laughs> Seriously, though, here is the feedback from Alex. Hey, all. Alex Kruger here with feedback for Ted Lasso Season 2, Episode No Weddings and a Funeral. The amount of mood whiplash in this episode is absolutely insane. Going from adorable to somber to hilarious and everything in between in a perfect clip helps this episode stay really impactful. And it never feels like any of the jokes or tender moments are cheap. Now, I have lived Roy and Keeley's dynamic in this episode so much in my relationship. Oftentimes, when I'm trying to avoid a serious conversation that makes me uncomfortable, I resort to deadpan humor or leaning too far into whatever bit I'm playing at the moment. It makes Kara furious. And even when I know she's had enough, it can be hard to snap out of it. So I really appreciated Roy coming clean at the end and explaining himself. He really does have an obscene amount of emotional maturity. Major props to the director, MJ Delaney, for how well she handled the dual confession scene with Ted and Rebecca. It isn't clunky and it isn't over the top. It's really, really powerful. And while it shows two completely different lowest points in a person's life moments, you truly feel like a lot of the dialogue is interchangeable. Well done. Now, I can never tell if the Danny storyline is hilarious or frustrating for me. It's hilarious because Cristo Fernandez is both over the top yet somehow restrained in his acting, but I just, look, I work in an office every day. I wear dress shoes every day. I've never felt my shoes were constricting my feet that badly. <laughs> and even if Danny has wide feet, they sell a wide variety of both stylish and comfortable dress shoes. Whoever helped him purchase his non-trainers gave him some horrible advice. <laughs> the maturation of Jamie, it's so delightful to watch. Yeah, no, he's kind of a dick for telling Keely he is still in love with her, even though she is still with Roy. But he does do it in a very respectful way and acknowledges that what he's doing is kind of shitty. 
One can easily make the argument that he has taken the easy way out by getting it off his chest, even though it could hurt two people he cares deeply about. But I have to give him props for communicating his truth, even when he knows it likely won't be reciprocated and could, in fact, lead to more heartache than not. The fact that this season has highlighted the cracks and fissures in Keeley and Roy's relationship, such as the Roy is just around too damn much episode, really sets up next season's storylines well. And my last point is actually from earlier in the episode. Rebecca's mother likes to start her day off with Rick Astley playing in every room. And there have been times when in the morning you need a tune for a quick pick-me-up to get throughout the, through the day. For me, and I know it might sound crazy at first glance, it's Easy Street. Yes, the Savior's favorite torture song. I know, I know. God. It's just such an upbeat pop with a fun message that if I need a quick jolt of chutzpah in my spirit, it gets the job done. So, Ben and Christian, what would your wake-up songs be in that scenario? That's it for me. As always, keep up the great work, team. I've got a few. I I have one. I can tell you exactly what my Go. one of my alarms is set to. Um, and it's going to sound atypical and it's going to sound like I'm, I'm lying. Um, the first, I've, I, I set two or three alarms and they're actually each to different songs, but the first one I hear every morning is actually the theme song to Ted Lasso. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's actually, that is the, one of my, uh, one of my alarms. Very nice. Uh, mine. So when I need something happy in the morning, I listen to Michael Franti and Spearhead. I don't that's, care what the song is. That's what I listen to. No, that's a good one. I'm not going to lie. Um, Michael Franti and Spearhead is my all-time favorite pick-me-up group. However, if I'm really like in a funky mood and I want something kind of fun – um, it's past the duchy. Really? <laughs> yes, I love that song so much. Pass the duchy on the left hand side. Da, 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 da. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> I hear that song, and I always think of the wedding singer. Oh, I think of Argyle from Stranger Things, season four. Oh, see, wedding singer predates that. So, oh yeah, I don't. I, mm. um, but the yeah, Michael Franti is is my jam. Okay. For sure. If anybody I, yeah, needs I mean, like, like I said, I have I have a I, I, I have a couple. Like I said, I have Ted Lasso, the, the theme song to Ted Lasso. Um, I have the theme song to Doctor Who is one of my alarms. Um, the Matt Smith version of Doctor Who, that theme song, because it changes every year. Uh, and then I also have another song just because I like it's my third alarm. So I figure like if I'm not up by my third alarm then I need something that's like going to rage, wake me up. Is um, it rage? No. God. Oh, why didn't I think about using rage as a song? Anything rage against the machine is amazing. Um, or disturbed, like inside the fire by disturbed would be a great one. There you go. Uh, no, it's the song Judas by Fozzie, um, which is Chris Jericho's band. That's my, I that's my third alarm. Okay. So, like I said, if I'm not up by my third alarm, then I need something that's going to like rage wake me up. So Bulls on parade. <laughs> no, that's a good one. <laughs> now testify. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. Okay. 
Uh, but thank you, Alex. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, everybody, for uh, for the feedback. Uh, and Jeff, uh, we encourage you guys to leave us feedback every week, whether it's on past episodes or the current episode. Easiest way to do that, just visit uh, revisitedpod.com. There you'll find links on everything from where to subscribe, leave feedback, uh, and all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, um, or email us directly, feedback at revisitedpod.com. Real quick, before we wrap things up, any recommendations before we get out of here? Go see Dune 2. I haven't even seen it yet, but go see it. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, I'll make quick mention before we drop out. Uh, obviously, go and check out podcastica.com and all the great stuff over there. They're currently covering uh, The Walking Dead, uh, The Ones Who Live, which is the- Oh, yeah, go series. see that too, because that was really, really good. It was really good, and I can't oh, wait. Oh, to- it's so good to have Walking Dead back. Yeah, I, I, will, I am full on with you on this one. It, this is a great series. It's the um, best it's ever been. Sorry, and, it is. And I will mention also, as I will mention again real quick, go check out Will the Wilhelm Podcast, uh, wilhelmpodcast.com. We did the top five favorite pre- uh, fictional presidents, and then this week is the top five favorite baseball movies with Alex and I doing that. At the end of this week, we're going to be doing our annual Oscar prediction episode because the Oscars are next this um Sunday coming from the time you're hearing this. Uh, so we'll be dropping that on Friday on Friday. So you can hear that before the Oscars air and you can hear our picks for, for winners. And then the episode after that is top five favorite movies. You'll never outgrow, which was also a lot of fun to record. And I've got a bunch of other episodes in the works. National treasure. Yeah, but you didn't watch that as a teenager. Don't care. It doesn't count. Shut up. (laughs) <laughs> all right any final notes before we get out of here no okay so then with that being said thank you as always for listening thank you as always for subscribing everything you guys do but until next time for episode 11 which is the midnight train to Boy- uh, boyton brighton regardless sure. uh, we'll see you guys it's the penultimate of season two uh we'll see you guys back out on the pitch take care Namaste, bye-bye!